1: Everybody, crappy Mondays, and welcome to the news agenda of me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John.
0: Hey, morning, CZ.
1: Now, this is a people's paper review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on the podcast will just have to enter recess for three weeks and hope we still have a government on the other side. Now, before we start, you'll see I'm drinking from my Medal for Heroes mug. The nuclear test medal has finally gone out and is starting to arrive for nuclear veterans this week. Hooray! And it only took us five years. Um, and the other thing I'd like to very quickly mention is because the last few weeks, uh, these broadcasts have been a bit hit and miss. They haven't all happened because I've had my head to the grindstone, nose to the grindstone, trying to sort out um, our big revelations about the launch of a legal case for nuclear veterans to get the truth out of the government about blood tests that were taken from them at the time of the weapons trials and are being unlawfully withheld from them today, which means they don't get the right medical treatment. Now, there is a crowdfunder to help support it. So I would like everybody who sees this to go and put 50 quid in it, please. If you can't afford 50 quid, then generate a 50 quid donation by sending it out to everyone on your contacts list, by sharing it with people, by getting family to donate to it as well. If you just Google nuclear veterans and bloody truth, you'll find the crowdfunder. Please share it as widely as you can and help these guys get the justice they need. Now, moving on to the story today's, What have we got for you? Well, the mirror has splashed on football star Marcus Rashford having a car crash in his shiny Rolls Royce. Thankfully, nothing but his paintwork was hurt. Uh, But speaking of ridiculous riches inside on page 18, John, it's the first day of the Lib Dem party conference. And they seem to be setting the tone that they would clean up politics and end the system of golden goodbyes for failed politicians. This process by which they get thousands and thousands of pounds for leaving office. Take us through this. What exactly are they suggesting?
0: Yeah, so this is... Uh, the system of severance payments, basically ministers when they lose their jobs, either when they're sacked or they decide to go they get this payment which is worth about a quarter of their salary and this is something that they get the money themselves, this is not the same as when MPs leave office they get a payment and that's to kind of wrap up their offices, sort out admin this is something that the ministers get themselves and if you look there at that page of today's mirror you can see some examples, you've got Boris Johnson there who eventually left government last year after all of those different months of sleaze, whether that was party gate or other things, he got eighteen thousand pounds, eight hundred eighteen thousand eight hundred and sixty pounds. You've got Liz Truss at the top of the page, she got the same amount despite leaving. After causing absolute carnage in the economy when she was PM last autumn, you've also got Kwasi Kwarteng, who was her chancellor for some of that time until she sacked him. He got sixteen thousand pounds, and Chris Pincher, who used to be the Tory deputy chief whip, he got the boot after he was found to have groped two men inappropriately. He still managed to walk away with eight thousand pounds somehow. And so the Lib Dems are saying that in many jobs, if you ended up being forced out or you chose to leave, you wouldn't get this sort of payment. And so they're saying that we need to stop paying so much money to people. So as a starting point, they've suggested that if people quit their jobs after less than a year as a minister, they shouldn't be able to get the money. Or if they quit their jobs and then they go back into the cabinet with some other sort of job within a year of leaving, they should have to pay all that cash back. So they're not saying get rid of it completely. They're saying that we should certainly restrict it. So not quite so much money is going out because after last year and the chaos of Boris Johnson, having loads of ministers leave and then come back in and then Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, we end up paying more than half a million pounds in severance fees.
1: That was for all those... Uh, ministers who got a job, then resigned, and then got a job, and then resigned again under Boris Johnson because, and then the, what was it, 45 days or something of Liz Trust that seemed to last a century. Um,
0: It's
1: just 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 astonishing. They get £8,000 for Chris Bincher because he groped somebody drunkenly at a party. If I groped someone drunkenly at a party, I'd have to pay them £8,000. I dare say some of his victims, yeah, Julia says it's insane may well be deciding they want to sue Mr. Pincher to have some of that money back. If you've had a mortgage that's gone through the roof, maybe you want to sue this trust. See if the, what's the justification for this though, John? Why would I mean I could understand why when an MP loses um, office and they get unelected as it were, someone else gets elected in their place, they need to tie up their office, they've got staff, they all need to get a month's pay kind of thing. It's not fair on, on them just to get dumped on the street because their boss was rubbish. But why what is the justification? For Liz Truss, getting 19 grand for being, you know, living less long than a lettuce.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty difficult to justify. I guess if you were Liz Truss, you might say, well, she had been... A minister for a long time she was one of the great survivors until she took over as pm and then it all went very wrong very quickly but it is hard to justify it seems to be one of those things that's been the case for quite a long time and it seems quite unlikely that ministers will want to push through any changes to this themselves because obviously when right. they leave their jobs they quite like to pick up this money as well
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's like, you know, if aren't going to vote for Christmas, are they? Then what do you think, everybody? Do you think this is the kind of thing that would make you vote Lib Dem? If they said they're going to clean up a little bit, very slightly, not completely get rid of, it would appear, but just, you know, slightly polish this particular um, parliamentary process, do you, is that something that would actually win your vote? Rosbach says, it. Lee says, it's only if we can vote the right way. Well, exactly. You've got to vote for this to actually be a policy, isn't it? Now, those figures that John pointed out, they're, they're all a bit astonishing. And we we know it doesn't go to their staff, it goes in their pockets. Are MPs ever going to vote for this, really? I know it's only really affecting ministers. So you, you might argue that, you know, there's, there's more MPs than there are ministers, and that therefore it might get through. But if if this actually goes to a parliamentary vote, they're never going to back it, are they?
0: No, and it's not going to be something that ever gets parliamentary time, realistically. It's one of these ideas being put out by the Lib Dems. It's eye-catching. It's an issue that people enjoy talking about. But the Lib Dems need to suggest things like this to get attention, because it is their party conference, as you mentioned, in Bournemouth at the moment. And they struggle when there's a big debate going on between the Labour Party and the Tory party, and people are thinking, who should be the next Prime Minister? They never really think about the the Liberal Democrats. And so they have to kind of put out these eye-catching ideas to kind of get a debate going, to get some sort of attention.
1: Exactly, yeah. Without a Nick Clegg, he's busy with Facebook, um, they're struggling a bit, aren't they? Now, never mind MPs. Are we going to vote for this? Mike says, I think it's unlikely MPs in Parliament will ever vote to restrict their own potential future earnings. I think you're right, Mike. I think they would argue that if you're going to restrict these kind of earnings, you need to increase salaries. We all know how that would end. But are people going to vote for this? It does seem... Like a rather short term, not a particularly big idea about how to run Britain. It's just one particular short term thing. Like you say, John, it's to get a headline or something. Lib Dems aren't doing too well in the polls, are they? Is there a chance, a tiny chance, that this might be enacted as a a policy in the event of a hung parliament? Are we going to get one of those?
0: Yeah, so as you say, the Lib Dems aren't doing incredibly well. If you look at their national poll rating, it's kind of stayed around 11%, which isn't particularly amazing. But I think that where they might do well at the next election is in those seats where they are the main contender against the Tory party. And so when you hear Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, doing any interviews over the next few days, you'll hear him talking about the blue wall. And these are these seats around London, places like Kent, places like Surrey, places uh, around the southeast and towards the southwest, where the Tories have traditionally done very well, where suddenly, even though they're rating nationally, not, might not be huge, the Lib Dems are nipping at the heels of the Tories. And they are hoping to make gains in those sort of places, places like Guildford, Chichester. Uh, some fairly quite well-off places where people are fed up with the Tory party but maybe don't want to switch to Labour, they might switch to Lib Dems instead.
1: Exactly. Tunbridge Wells is sitting here waiting for you, Ed Davey, although I notice you don't have a candidate yet in Maidstone in the wheel Hurry it up, please. Uh, now, Keep asking your questions, everybody. What do you think about these great policies to, you know, brighten up the political landscape? Is that going to mean anything for you? Because as we go on to the main story driving the day today, which is a continuing row it started last week, but it's still going on uh, about the leaked plan to cut the Manchester leg of HS2. Now, if anyone's been under a rock for the past decade. This is the railway line that is supposed to be extra quick and level up the north by making it easier for everyone to get to the south. And if you look at the costs, it seems that each rail is made of solid platinum because it's about a billion pounds a mile or something stupid like that. (laughs) John, it's been leaked that the Tories are going to cut part of it, this bit around Manchester. It's already not going to central London. So it'll end up that there's a a high-speed rail link between Birmingham and an outer London suburb. So quite a few people are saying this isn't really worth the price that we're all paying for it. Is it reasonable, do you think, to start cutting bits of it?
0: Yeah, so the original idea, just to explain, was that you're gonna get this new high-speed rail line going between Euston in central London, and then you'd have one leg going all the way up to Birmingham and then Manchester, Another leg going between uh, Birmingham and Leeds to kind of go up and then fork into two. Mm -hmm. Now, last year, was it maybe the year before last, the government said that they were no longer going to do that eastern leg to uh, Leeds. And now they're looking at suggestions that they could um, no longer go to Euston in central London, it could stop at Old Oak Common, which probably not many people have heard of until this whole row started. That's because it's in the suburbs of West London and they could go up to Birmingham and stop there rather than going all the way to Manchester. And so HS2 has become very costly back when it was announced by Gordon Brown. It was estimated it would cost about £33 billion. Now it's estimated to be anywhere around £100 billion, potentially could go even higher than that. And so the argument is, do we have the money to pay for this? However, we've already spent so much money so far. Other people are saying, well, what's the point of spending all this money to end up with basically a very quick shuttle service between Birmingham and the outskirts? Of London, and there are a lot of people raising questions about why on earth are they announcing this now ahead of Tory Party conference, which will be taking place in Manchester next week? There's a lot of angry people in the north. People like Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, he's writing to Rishi Sunak, the PM, today and is urging him to convene an urgent meeting. He says that the Prime Minister is disrespecting the people of the North by refusing to talk to them about what exactly he is planning to do with this line. And he says that this is another example of where the government has talked a good game on levelling up. It's talked about, remember, at 2019, when Boris Johnson became prime minister, it was all about how there's these communities outside London which have been neglected for so long that suddenly they were going to get all this attention and life was going to be totally different. And actually, the reality is much hasn't changed. And there's been a lot of talk, not much action. And critics of the government will say this is a in point
1: exactly this all seems to be a bit of a cock-up one way or another um now where do the tories actually sort of stand Raz says this is a circus quite right too what do you think everybody are you in the north are you were you waiting to be leveled up um <clears throat> lee hang on his comments gone jacob says he's killed the north which he it could be could be anybody from henry the Second down frankly um But, you know, where do you stand on this? Do you think this is money that's worth spending? Do you think in the 21st century that actually, you know, having a faster, quicker train is, is going to make any difference to your ability to work? Why does there need to be a high speed link between London and the North? Surely the important thing is to have actual proper transport links across the North would help East to West. Lee says, I think I'll vote reform. Uh, this is about the Lib Dems, I think. I think I'll vote for reform and I hope they can form the next coalition with one of the smaller parties, along with most of the electorate, if they know what's good for them. You're going to vote for Reform UK. They are never going to have a, a coalition with the Lib Dems. I think they are the on the opposite side of everything to the Lib Dems, Lee, but, you know, best of luck with your, your optimism for a Monday. It's a bit early, but, you know, we'll see how you feel at the end of the day. Um, Now, how do you feel, everybody, about HS2 being cut? Is this a big waste of money? Is it a big white elephant? Does it make no difference at all to be 20 minutes quicker to London? It seems the way they're actually organising it now to end in Old Oak Common, which is, what, the end of the Piccadilly line, I think, they're actually going to take longer. It takes longer to get to London, to Birmingham, than than it does now. Um, now, where do the Tories stand on all this, John? Because, you know, although it was a Gordon Brown initiative, it's for the past 13 years, it's been a Tory flagship infrastructure scheme, isn't it? It's fallen into the kind of state-run chaos they said would only be possible under Jeremy Corbyn. And now it's, it's being dismembered before it's even really got off the ground. It's causing massive party eruptions. The threats of ministerial walkouts today is this... I suppose the question is, is this just Britain? Are we just crap at doing this kind of stuff? Or is this symptomatic of the Tory party and their malaise at the moment, their inability to check their own homework?
0: Well, I think you're right. It has obviously did start with Labour and Gordon Brown, but it has had Tories backing it since then. Remember Gordon? Um, Gordon? George Osborne used to bang on about the Northern Powerhouse and how he was committed to changing the North and that didn't really work out either. We've heard David Cowan in the last few days, Boris Johnson, saying this would not be a mistake. But I think, yeah, there is something incredibly depressing about this, that the costs have gone up, and it just seems like we are incapable, as a country, of building big infrastructure projects. Gordon Brown was on the radio this morning, just saying, well, hang on a minute, all these other countries in Europe seem to be able and capable of building high-speed rail lines. Why is it that we just can't do it in the UK? It just seems ridiculous that whether you think the high speed line should be going between Liverpool and Leeds or London and Manchester and Leeds, whichever way around you think it should be done, you would think there would be a way that the government be able to make it happen. We are a developed country. We are one of the wealthiest countries in the world. But it just seems that there is something going wrong here that we just haven't been able to do it.
1: No, and I think perhaps it's something to do with the fact that we're having to build a whole new railway line as opposed to make the the current railway line better, which might be a sort of slightly more sensible way of doing things. Although, of course. They didn't want to stop everywhere and everything else on the high speed lines. Um, But it's also because there's been so many governments that have wanted to, you know, keep house prices high and keep land prices high and everything else and subsidise farmers so they didn't want to sell off their fields. Actually, you need to buy fields and buy houses for HS2. So, of course, the costs have gone up and up because of government policies. It's all Nothing is quite tying together and it's all a bit mad and what do you think everybody is this is this britain are we just rubbish at railway lines even though we invented it Probably because we invented it. We haven't got our heads around the fact that it's not narrow gauge railways anymore. Um, Or do you think this is something that, you know, anyone could fix? Anyone else? Is this is just something that every government would kind of fail at and struggle with? Let us know. Now, it's apparently so unpopular within the Tory party, this idea. They might actually move the announcement, the decision to the autumn budget. And they might say it's only been delayed by seven years and try to blame Vladimir Putin for it. But Andy Burnham, King of the North, is spitting tax of pure acid on the airwaves this morning, says it's going to turn the north-south divide into a north-south chasm. Uh, and the Liverpool Mayor Steve Rotherham says that Northern Powerhouse Rail, which is the scheme to join up cities in the north, actually needs HS2 for a section of it. And so if you don't have HS2, you just have two bits of Northern Powerhouse, either side of Manchester, and you've got to walk take the tram between the two or something. I mean, this is all just ridiculous. John, Have they thought it through, cancelling it is going to cause just as many headaches as pushing through with it, isn't it?
0: Well, I think this is why you might see a slightly slight delay in the decision. There was briefing in the Sunday papers yesterday that we might get the decision this week. I mean, as I said earlier, that seems strange timing when you've got the government, all the Tory bigwigs going up to Manchester next weekend for their Tory conference. So, yeah, I think there are other options. As you say, you could put the delay, uh, you could announce it much later, you could do it at the same time as the autumn statement in November. And you could say we're not fully uh, cancelling these parts from uh, Birmingham to Crewe and Crewe to Manchester. As you say, you could just say you're delaying them instead, you won't be able to do them as quickly. As you, did poss- as you did before. But I think the scale of the backlash over the last few days from all sides, not just on the Labour side with people like Andy Burnham saying that the government's betrayed the North, but from these big Tory figures, people like David Cameron, Boris Johnson and George Osborne, I think that backlash may have made the government think again and think more carefully about what exactly they're going to do.
1: Yeah, they're going to be a bit stuffed, aren't they? But then, you know... Uh- if, they go, if they're go, if having to go to Manchester for their conference, I wonder if uh, we should be getting the train or flying by helicopter, which I would expect. John says, too many Tory hands in one another's pockets. I don't know what they're doing in there, John. Um, <laughs> but then, of course, we've got this. It's all just ridiculous. But then, of course, so is the spending on this. There's a loss of money going into it. And the Tories do say they want to save cash. Uh, Jeanette says it's going not where the lines are needed, but it's it's being built where it's not wanted. Um, now, Rishi doesn't. Uh, sorry, Rishi doesn't particularly take the train. So why should he care? You know, necessarily. But what other are, are there any other big ticket items that they can axe and slash instead to sort of find the money to keep going with HS2?
0: Well, I think that at the moment it's very hard to make big cuts when the public sector has already seen massive cuts and there's not much willingness in the government to slash the nhs any further we know that schools are struggling we know that the government stopped the school building for uh, school building programs and then we've ended up with rack with those dodgy mm-hmm. concrete roots possibly falling on on children's heads so there isn't loads of places that government are able to cut but obviously they are keen to find wet cuts where they can because they would desperately love to cut taxes um, particularly taxes for their rich pals. We've had the idea, as well as the possible scrapping of parts of HS2 weekend this weekend, we've heard the idea being raised that the government could decide to slash inheritance tax, uh, even though that's only paid by less than 4% of households and we know who would be a massive beneficiary of this. If inheritance did get scrapped, it would be Wishy Sunak who could potentially save as much as £300 million, according to... <laughs> the How much? £300 million. But that's what happens when you've got an awful lot of money. Good
1: Lord. There's no way he's going to be able to get that one through. And if you actually added up everyone else in the in the cabinet, because, I mean, Jamie Hunt's a millionaire, Grant Shabbs is a millionaire, and start ticking... <sighs> <laughs> that makes me cross only 4% of people 3.7% of people pay inheritance tax it doesn't mean anything to anybody most of us you've got to have more than a million pounds inherited i.e not have any social care uh if you if you want to have to pay inheritance tax it's just not going to be the kind of thing that matters to a lot of people but for 300 million for a third of a billion i think i might try and change the law as well if i had that kind of cash now <clears throat> I wouldn't expect not to get noticed for it, though. Now, Daniela says, did they spend their budget on the Nightingale hospitals? Look how that all turned out. That's a very good point, Daniela. There was an awful lot of money went into those hospitals, wasn't there, John, during COVID? Uh, these sort of clinics that were being set up with lots of equipment and so on uh, around the place to take a lot of COVID patients. And of course, they barely ever got used. Did, um, did that money go back in the pot or did it disappear?
0: But there was a story around a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to remember where it was, whether it was our paper or another paper, about how a lot of the expensive beds that had been bought up for the Nightingales, obviously they were bought up quickly because the government was desperately needing capacity or thought they were going to need this surge capacity. But the beds cost several thousand pounds. They had been sold off some on the internet for a couple of hundred yeah, pounds you They each. were
1: going auction, weren't they? That was us. That was the mirror, I think
0: um so yeah obviously a lot of money uh didn't get particularly brilliantly spent then but i think that um defenders of the government would say yeah there were mistakes on things like ppe and the dodgy contracts that we've heard about but on a lot of things like nightingale hospitals the government was just quickly rushing to try and do whatever it could (laughs) to cope with the sudden spike in the virus
1: yeah but unfortunately there was never the staff to run nightingale hospital because you want to put covid patient in ice from icu and put them in a in a in a separate place, they need a consultant. They need someone who can specialise in kidneys. Someone who can specialise in lungs. Uh, they need nurses. It's just, it's not just one bed. It's not an option. You know, no one went, no one went to a hostel with COVID and had one fit and just coughed a bit. That didn't happen. So it, it didn't really ever work out. Leslie says we wouldn't need these cuts if they hadn't borrowed even before the pandemic, trillions of pounds. They're spending money we don't have. Who's going to pay for that? We're going to pay for it, Leslie. We're going to pay for it again. They've spent our money. They've borrowed more money from us. We're going to spend that money back. And when they've run out of money, they're going to ask us to pay them back for the money they borrowed off us that they spent that was to cover the money that they've already taken off us. So you pay about three times. That's government, I'm afraid. In return, you get potholes and uh, it gets you here at the NHS. Uh, thank you, Tories. Right. Thank you, everybody, for taking us through some of that. Uh, we have found some good news in the world. Well, it's sort of good news. Uh, and here it is. There's not an awful lot of news around this morning. So this is sort of good news for some, bad news for others. Uh, But long-term Tory donor, John Caldwell, who founded the Phones for You Empire, says he's not going to donate cash to the Tories again because of Rishi Sunak's U-turn on net zero policies. He says he's beyond horrified at the lack of environmental action and is going to give his millions to Labour instead. Now, John... Uh, It's got to be said, Kirsten would be delighted. Uh, It's a pleasure to see someone who can afford to take helicopters, perhaps decide that there's a better way to carry on. But um, is this going to be indicative, you think? I mean, it's taken John Caldwell 13 years of the Tories cocking things up for you to realise he shouldn't be giving them money anymore. Is this kind of thing going to sort of filter out to other Tory donors? And when that money stops coming in, is it going to make any difference whatsoever to Rishi Sunak?
0: Yes, we get the donation figures on how much the parties have raised every three months. And you look over the, at those figures over the last year, you've seen there has been a bit of a shift with fewer people donating to the Tories and a lot more donors coming back to the Labour Party. I think part of that is because of policies. Part of that is because people think- clearly look at the polls and think Labour Party are closer to being back in government. And they think, well, maybe if they give some money, they might be able to exert some influence. But... Even though you've called this good news, it is rather depressing news that this has come after those climate announcements last week. And you look into the detail of them, there was a lot made in the headlines about that change and when we have to switch to electric cars or get rid of our gas boilers. But one of the announcements that possibly didn't get as much attention as it deserved is changing the rules for landlords. So landlords were going to have to make sure their properties were energy efficient and well insulated, less drafty, so that tenants who are renting would be able to save some money on their energy bills. This is one of the things that Rishi Sunak completely scrapped in that speech last week. And so for a lot of people... It means that their homes aren't going to be made energy efficient in the same way as they were before. And people are going to be spending a lot more on their gas and electricity bills for the years to come. Mm. Great. That's, that's so well done. We that bring means. it down from good news into something depressing, but there we are. Port-
1: You're iron all over it. Thank you very much, John. (laughs) Happy Monday, everybody. (laughs) Uh, On, on, I suppose on the other side of things, you know, the amount of money that these donors put into the Conservative Party is, Rishi Sunak is richer than all of them. So, is there any chance that he might just, you know, pay for the government himself, or that just be ridiculous?
0: I think that would. um, I mean, many things about the government look quite desperate at the moment. I think if Rishi Sunak had to start personally bankrolling his own election campaign uh, in a big way, suddenly starting putting millions of pounds to buy leaflets with his face on. I think that would be counterproductive and would look incredibly desperate.
1: Yeah, well, I think he's already paying for his helicopters, isn't he? which I think I may have mentioned about half a dozen times already. In this well,
0: I think quite often we pay for his helicopter at the moment. So, we um, paying
1: for his helicopter. I assumed that that was him just being ridiculous. It said someone's private donor,
0: I thought. So sometimes, sometimes if he's going, you know, one day he went to the Welsh Tory conference in Wales, that would have been uh, a private donor who covered for that. But when it's like a Monday and he go, you know, quite often on a Monday you get wishes and that pop up in some part of the country, whether that's Durham or Bristol or Southampton or whatever when he's doing that government business we are paying for that helicopter so yeah he might have a lot of money but it's us paying for his helicopter a lot of the time to go around the country
1: well that's why he's got so much money we're paying for the helicopters isn't it he's in the southeast today the whole the whole world is talking about how he's not leveling up the north and where is he Kent well done, Rishi. Yes, that's how to pull it back out of the fire, mate. Um, right. Thank you, John, for taking us through all this. We've ended on rather an angry note, which is not the point of the good news section, but it's the it's, it's where we've ended up today. Um I'll say again, if you can, please find some money to help the nuclear test veterans. Google nuclear veterans and bloody truth. Find their crowd justice funding page. Give them some money if you can. If you can't, please share it and make sure you can generate some money from other people. Put it into everyone in your email contacts and ask them to donate. Only 1% of people who actually click on that page will donate. That's how humans work, I'm afraid. But if you can, there you go. Thank you, Will, backstage for finding that. We've got 22 grand in there already. They need about 100. So uh, keep going, please, and put some money in their account. It's going to make all the difference to getting the truth out of the government about the longest-running scandal in British history. Uh, On that note, which is slightly more positive, um, thank you, John, for taking us through all that. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. We will see you again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Till then, everyone, tatty-bye.